It's all connected. This is the RussJohnson.com podcast. Hey, hey, hey. Boop. It is Russ Johnson, and it's all connected. Welcome back once again. And for those of you who have listened to several of my podcasts, you may have heard from the age of 17, I started questioning things. And how I labeled it was that I was beginning to explore something I knew existed, but didn't know how it worked. So I started looking to understand the mechanics of God, how God works. I'm fascinated by the interplay of different belief systems and how they harmonize within my own worldview and others. That's why this podcast was created. That's why I was drawn to Harry Alto as well. He has an enlightening book called The Landscape of Enlightenment. And when I read this, I knew that I was going to have a great conversation with him. I found him on the Gaia Network from a show called Oneness with individuals who are describing their enlightened experiences. And I knew right away he was going to be the guy. Unfortunately, and since I come from a radio background, I like for all things audio to sound great, but our conversation had a big hum in the original recording, and we had to do a lot of extra steps to work on it to take that hum out. And it still sounds a little bit fuzzy at some points, but it's still, it was such a great conversation, I could not not air it. Through our exploration of the interconnectedness of all things, we embark on an enlightening journey. With Harry Alto's remarkable mind, he lives and understands what it means to be fully self-aware, enlightened even. Brace yourself for an eye-opening experience as we expand our understanding of the world and the mechanics of God. Join me now when I asked him to take me back to his childhood. Okay, so I guess, you know, when I try to think back, it doesn't feel like I'm thinking back to childhood because whatever I was then, I'm also now. But nevertheless, I'm going to go to try to go into the past here for a moment. You know, I had a happy childhood. You know, my parents were good people and they looked after us. And I have a brother, an older brother, and he didn't beat me up too often. So it was really good. And, uh, you know, we played a lot, you know. But I had, I did have, even at a very early age, there was something going on behind the scenes in my life. I could sense this. Uh, at that point, I would have certainly called it a light or a, a feeling of expansion. And I didn't really know what it was. I had no idea. I never talked about it to anybody, but I was very aware of it. Even as a very, very young child, there was this uh, almost, I'd say, bubble of light around me. And, you know, it was, it was kind of like, uh, my safety zone and you know if I put my hand out of that bubble you know it didn't feel as safe as inside the bubble (laughs) I know that sounds unusual but that's that's how it was and and you know I did feel I was very insulated within this bubble and if I didn't like somebody I'd go inside of it and just stay there and but that feeling of what expansion or was always there and and it never did go away it it just got bigger. So in my present life, that bubble is much bigger. And I certainly learned to talk about it, which I didn't have any idea when I was a child that, you know, it was anything special that I, I naturally assumed everybody had that experience. What, what, how do you describe what that bubble is? 
consciousness. I, that's what I'd say now. You know, it was my consciousness. It was me. I, it felt like it wasn't any different. There was no outside to the bubble or inside to the bubble, even though my body was inside of it and my consciousness was inside this this bubble of light. But the bubble was transparent. I could see through it. It didn't isolate me from anything. I just knew it was there. Hmm. Well, you, you know, so you, you asked, and I'm telling you, that's what it was like. Yeah. It sounds, it's interesting. I've never heard anyone describe it like that, especially something as young as you have described. But in, in your book, The Landscape of Enlightenment, you talk about a sudden yeah. um, moment of awareness. How is that different? I want you to describe that experience, but also just before that, what, how is that different from what you're describing as the bubble, the, the awareness you had as a kid? Looking at it from today's perspective, which is the only way I can look at it, that bubble didn't feel any different than um, if I had a thought, when I had a thought as a kid, I was inside that sphere of uh, consciousness. And I call it consciousness now. I wouldn't have called it consciousness then. I would have called it just, it was, it was just part of life. It was always there. It, wherever I went, whatever I thought, whatever I felt, I, it was inside this bubble. But the bubble was, you know, it was there. And, and but it was completely transparent too. So that my outside world, anything outside that bubble, was normal. Everything inside that bubble was also normal. Now, looking at it from today's perspective, I would call it, it was a field of consciousness, it was a field of self-awareness, or my perception of self-awareness had a light quality to it, a light uh, illuminated quality to it as a child, and it was always that. And wherever I went, if I climbed a tree, it came with me. You know, If I fell out of the tree, I never felt came out of a bubble. <laughs> Well, what does that mean when it's, it's always with you? What are you referring to as always with you? Awareness? Just aware of, of you and everything around you? Is it the energy of what's around you? Or, I mean, I'm going to call it in today's terms. There's a, there's a self-awareness. Everybody has self-awareness. Mine took on a yeah. concrete form. I could see it. Maybe wow. Most people can't see it. Uh, yeah, but I didn't know that then. Now I know it. Most so you're literally seeing a bubble. <laughs> I know, but there's no other way to describe it because it was it was clear. It was there. It was transparent. It was always there. And as I grew older, the bubble became bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and stopped being a bubble. At some point, it just turned into pure conscious consciousness, expanded consciousness, expanded awareness, expanded perception. What does that mean to you? What what does it mean to be fully self-aware, to become fully conscious? How is that different than just your everyday life? Everybody, sure. everybody has self-awareness. Self you have right. to remember that. It doesn't matter if you're aware of it or you're not aware of it or you're partially aware of it or you're occasionally aware. Everybody has self-awareness. Do you have it consciously? If you have self-awareness consciously, you, you'd say, yeah, I have the silence, the stillness, this expansion. It's always there. If it's always there, it's called self-awareness. It's called realization. If it's there temporarily, you're on the path to it. So children have it. 
teenagers sort of have it. <laughs> Adults have it. Everybody has it. And it, so what, if you say, what is ignorance? Ignorance is not being aware of the self. That's what ignorance is. That's all it is. If you're aware of the self, this fundamental value of consciousness, which is completely normal, completely simple, if you're aware of it all the time, night and day, 24 hours a day, and it never fades, whatever you're doing, whatever you're thinking, if somebody, you know, says something mean to you, it's still there. If it's always there, you're realized. You're in the first stage of realization. That bubble that I'm talking about is not um, different from that self-awareness. It just happened to be somewhat localized, but it was always there. It's no different from what I'm talking about, self-awareness. I couldn't have described it like that, Dan. Yeah. So is, do, you, do you make a distinction between a spiritual awakening and spiritual enlightenment? Is that the difference between the two? There's no difference between the two other than the knowledge. Without the knowledge, it's not enlightenment. It's just an experience. Now, having said that, so is so is the self-realized state. It's an experience, too. Only you know what it is. There's a knowledge aspect, and there's an experiential or perceptualized view. So let, let's describe, let me describe what I would describe as the first stage of self-realization, okay? And I've certainly met many people who have gone through these transformations or gone through these um, these kind of experiences, and they've been new to them. And some people say, oh, something happened to me. I can see, I can see this field around me. Other people say, I can hear it. I can hear this home. Other people say, I can feel it. I can, what is it? You could ask. Unless somebody tells you what it is, you'll think it's completely normal. If you go into a group like you and I, if I, if I were to ask you, do you have some silence? Do you have some stillness in you? And you might say, I do. Or you might say, well, occasionally. Or you might say, yeah, there seems to be something there. Now, at the point that you realize that something is connected to you, it's your experience, and it's always there, you would say that's self-realization. The problem is that it's so natural, so normal, so simple, that most people will say something like, you know, and the first glimmers of self-realization, what is that? It seems like nothing. And it never was nothing to me, you know, I've I've never had any relationship with nothing because I haven't been able to find anything like nothing. But uh, it doesn't feel like nothing. It feels like you you know that you are um, not day one, but you get to know that there's some something infinite and eternal about your consciousness. You don't know the details. You just know, oh, there I am. Okay? That must be me. It's my experience. I'm having it. That's the realization is that. You're having it. You understand you're having the experience and it's permanent. It's always there. That's all self-realization is in the early days. Well, that's about as simple as you can make it. But you talk about a hum. What is that? Let me uh, go a little bit forward from this first experience of realization. Let's say you have it and you just feel it. Oh, it's a feeling. I get it. I have this, you know, I'm expanded. I, it feels expanded. Now, that expansion is a quality. Now, you may not feel expanded. You just have the silence, the stillness. 
Now, as you go, let's say you meditate or you do spiritual practices, you go in and you come out, you go in, eyes close, and then you go out. If you do this for a year or two or three, maybe you begin to see or hear something in that stillness of the self. That would be the hum of creation. That would be a sound, a, a reverberation. Okay, so first is the silence, the knowingness. Then if, if you've meditated for a long time or done spiritual practices, maybe you begin to see it. Maybe you begin to feel it. What you feel is the hum of creation, the beginning, uh, what? Elaboration of that stillness. And you could call that a hum or you could call that a sound or you could call it a rever- reverberation. Some people have that, some people don't. I certainly have always heard something. So when when you meditate, and I assume you still meditate today, what are you still feeling this or, or hearing this hum? Oh, yeah, I hear it right now. You hear it right now. It's always with you. It's always there. For me, it's always been that. Big. But remember, this hum is silent, but it hums. It's still, but it hums. It's in the background, but it hums. It's not a loud sound, but it's everywhere. It has all these qualities to it. Now, the way that I would describe my experience and how it grew from this simple silence or the simple bubble of consciousness is that I began to see and hear consciousness itself. Wow. It's not a wow experience. <laughs> it's just there. How can you possibly describe that? You know, self-awareness has a knowingness quality to it, right? Knowingness. You know it. You know something's in there. Something's in your consciousness, okay? That knowingness, because I'm calling it knowingness, is a kind of very quiet knowledge. It's a sound. It, but it's subtle. You might not call it a sound. It's too subtle. But let's call it knowingness. Because it's a knowingness, Certainly for me, that knowingness expressed itself as, as light, as glimmers, and ultimately as forms, as sounds, and, but it didn't differ. The silence didn't go away. It just turned into a hum and being the silence. And that hum turned into a knowingness. Oh, I am that. And that I am that turned into forms inside. And ultimately all these layers became permanent, but they're, they're quiet. They didn't stand in the way of my senses, stand in the way of my hearing, eating, drinking, running around. They're just simultaneous with it. Most people make the mistake when you put words on these things. They sound so grand, right? They sound like out there somewhere. They're not. They're just normal. And, And most people that, you know, I have some little groups and we talk about these things. And most people, when you go deeply into their own experiences, they'll say, yeah. I got something like that, but I don't consider it anything. And I said, well, start considering it because that's what it is. And, yeah. um, well, I'm beginning, um, after about three years of consistent daily meditation, I'm beginning uh-huh. to uh, see and feel what you're describing. You're sensing. I've never been able, you're sensing exactly. And a knowingness, yeah. which is something that's like you say, I feel like it's always been there, but when you intentionally by using meditation, uh, make the connection. It, it seems to 
provide information out of the ether, just answers to stuff that you didn't know a second ago. All of a sudden, it seems like it comes from out of nowhere. And um, for you to be able to do that and describe it the way you have is very helpful to me. I don't know if anyone else listening to this is, but it's It's very helpful to people. Yeah. Because the reason it's so helpful is that you're putting words onto your experience. Now, if you don't know what you're experiencing, yeah, it's okay. You're having the experience, but you don't understand it. So you don't, it's like you got money in the bank, but somebody, you don't have the key to spending it. Yeah. yeah. You can't get into the vault. You got, you got a huge bunch of money in a vault, but no key. Yeah. As soon as you have a key, you can use something. You can use. That makes sense. Now, most people who wake up that I've seen, I've seen dozens of them now. They'll say something like, but I've always had this. Leave me my money back. <laughs> no, they right. don't say that, but they might as well say that because the state of not knowing the self is unnatural. Knowing the self is more natural. It feels like you know something. You feel connected to your yeah. environment, you're connected and maybe even connected to the universe ultimately. And you get this sense that there's something eternal and infinite in in your life, and maybe you can grab it. Maybe you can get to it. Maybe you can get closer to it. And finish it Did you begin to realize that we are it? Yeah. We, there is only one of this thing. This is at least my from my perception. There's only one of this thing, and we're it, and you're it, and I'm it. There's only one. There is only one. Our oneness always is different. My experience of that oneness is different from your experience. Mm-hmm. We're not the same oneness, even though ultimately on the le- on a cosmic level we, but on an individual level, which is highly important you know, in, in terms of everything that I talk about and everything that I understand. Um, the individual, the person having the experience, even on the quietest level, is already an individual. Let's say there's a field of a consciousness, it's universal, it's flat. And my attention when I meditate or right now is on that level. Then that field of that ocean of consciousness vibrates or hums or shimmers or has a feeling to it that is my feeling. I'm the one that's having the experience. Now, you, on the other hand, are going to have a similar experience, but not the same. Right? Yeah. It's going to be different. So that's where you're an individual and I'm an individual. And I take that all the way through all the states of consciousness. You know, I don't just, I don't recognize one state. I do recognize one state, but iterations of that state, this first state of self-realization where you recognize the self as permanent, I am that, it's there, is the first stage. It's the beginning. It goes on and on and on and on until the way that it, and certainly for me that it has always worked is okay. So I, I was aware of this self-awareness from an early age. It's always there. Didn't consider it enlightenment. In fact, never considered it as anything special at all. It's just there. And most people, if they, if they go into this state when they're adults, it'll be special for them because it's new. <laughs> but what if you had it your whole life? Yeah. Right. So it's not new. It's, it's there. But. The idea is that you have an inside experience, like when you meditate or do spiritual practices, and then ultimately you you don't want it to be just inside. You want it to be when your eyes are functioning, your ears. You want it to be in your life. Yeah. You want to share it with people. You want to be. It, you want it to be everywhere. 
all the time, whatever you do. Do you call that fully actualized? You're, you're fully aware. If you can get to that state where you're walking around 24 seven with that awareness, is that what that is? The many people will say something like, okay, I have this silence and it, it's there when I put my attention on it. But when I'm doing something, I forget it. And I say, then I'll say something like, okay, say, so when you go into school, you learn the multiplication table, right? And now you know it. You don't use it all the time. You just know it. It's always there. You can call upon it at any time. Seven times seven is 49. You know all that stuff. It's a memory. In a sense, you could talk about um, self-realization like a memory. You can remember when you remember it. It's always there. It just sort of goes off to the side or in a, a reservoir of memory as opposed to in front of your face all the time. Well, like that. Beautiful. Let's make this connection from awareness to your concept of God. How do you see it? All right. Get into the uh, good stuff. Apex experience pretty fast. Yes, sir. Here. <laughs> yes, sir. That's my most interest. I'm always interested. I love to know. See, I, again, goes back to I believe everything's connected, and I don't. I don't believe there is any mistake. You can't make a mistake in your choice of what your belief is, really. But ultimately, our goal is to arrive sort of where you are, Harry, is to this realization. That's the end result. Whether we get there tomorrow or we get there in a million years from now, um, that's the way I see it. At least, am am I wrong? You're completely right, and but. I would, I would add that anybody who's truly interested will get there pretty damn quickly yeah. because they're interested, right. but they do need a little encouragement. That is to say, somebody has to come in uh, and tell you what you're experiencing because it's difficult to know that by yourself. You're not an isolated being. You know what's so, what's so hard about this, though, Harry, is that um, for me, this has been a lonely path. There's just not that many people around that have, are that concerned about becoming self-aware. Well, we're going to change that then because I know dozens of people who can, maybe they don't have exactly what I have, but they certainly have woken up and they're willing to share it. And the more angles you get on that, people forget that self-realization is not just an experience, even though it is. It's also an understanding. It's the understanding that ties everything together. You know, just like remembering the uh, multiplication table, there's lots of numbers involved. You know this number, you know what this times that is, you know, lots of complexity to it. But you don't know that complexity until you put your attention there. Self-realization is like that. Understanding is like that. The the experience of self-realization or the experience of the self is an experience, a simple, natural, just there. Something has to make it concrete. And understanding does that. Deep on, I'm not talking about, you know, gross intellect here. I'm talking about the subtlest value of knowingness. That's the intellect on its subtle level. It knows that inside and outside are connected. They're not different from each yeah. other, even though they are. The door remains the door, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't change, but your understanding and perspective of how your senses function um, changes. You suddenly know, wait a minute, even my environment, even my environment is the same. Okay, you 
sitting in this room. You're sitting in a studio, right? Okay, there's a wall over there. There's a wall over there. And then there's all this empty space. You're not aware of that empty space until you put attention on it. You wouldn't be aware of it at all unless there was a wall there, a wall there, and a roof there. You take the walls away. The same space is there, but you don't know it. Take the space away, which you can't, but if you could, you wouldn't be anywhere. So they're both the the walls, that would be the relative, and the absolute, that would be the self, are totally integral to each other. They're meshed together. Like the you know wind. what I relate that to? I, I give the comparison of like fish to water. You know, yes. we, we think the air is separating us, but in reality, it's it's all connected, every bit of it. When we talk about going even out to other universes and galaxies and who knows, wherever, it's all connected is the way I see it. Before I get your concept of God, um, I've just remembered that you, uh, I read where you started uh, Transcendental Meditation in the 70s or something like that. I was trained in transcendental meditation just only a few years ago, and I use it every day to get my meditation started. I think it's one of the best meditations available. I really do. I think it's one of the easiest. It sounds like it's very difficult, but it's so simple, and it's it's like one of the easiest ways to reach some of the deepest levels of ourselves, and I would highly recommend everybody do it, but do you still practice that, and do you have other forms of meditation that you found to be as valuable or more valuable? No, I haven't found, but you know, not everybody's going to do one technique. I, I do certainly recommend. I have I have a little group of people. They've never done any. They've never done any TM, but half of them are awake. They get they got awake the hard way. <laughs> they went through this teacher and that guru, and people you know pounded them around, but they woke up anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it does happen, but I I certainly recommend TM because it works for me. And yes, I met, I meditate every day. It's really good for the body. It's really good for you know. It just settles everything down. Gives it a focus. Yeah, yeah I had. I, I guess I was fortunate. I I I had this sense of the self very strongly way before I started TM. Yeah, oh, started I remember meditating. you saying that you were aware when you were a baby. <laughs> yeah, and I told you we won't talk about that. Oh, did we? I didn't. Hear, I don't remember you saying that. But holy moly, that's just in, it's wild. It's just I don't think too weird. Okay. Yeah. Well. Um, but yes, I, I've had a sense of awareness of being aware and being the experiencer since birth. That's just amazing. And listen, I believe that all of us. Um, well, I believe in reincarnation, so I believe this energy was there. It was present way before we ever entered these bodies, so it makes perfect sense to me that you would have that ability. The possibility of it doesn't make perfect sense because the average person forgets everything by the way by the time they're three years old. So, but at the same time, it seems like there is the possibility of reality that there is a glitch in the system, and Harry is one of those glitches that remembers even back to that age. It's just in, oh my goodness, I can't even wrap my head around the possibility. <laughs> it's just insane. Let's, let's move on to, let's, let's talk about your concept of God. What is it? What is, what, what is this big entity? You want me to talk about God? I take it. This is the fourth time you've mentioned Yeah, <laughs> I do. I want to know what you think about it. The thing, you know, the way that I looked at I started having experiences of light that was beyond light when I was a young kid. And, you know, I went through a period when I was in my maybe nine or ten years old. I started reading the Bible and reading this and reading that. And then I had an experience of this super strong light. But the first thing that occurred to me about this light is, you know, God isn't the light. 
that isn't good enough for me. That, that's too abstract. So what do I get out of light? Okay, I get a good feeling, but I don't see anything. I, I don't have a relationship with light that's personal. It's just light or same with pure consciousness. Imagine, okay, let's say you have an experience of the self, pure consciousness, and it's, it's very quiet. It's very simple. It's silent. How personal can that be? How personal can that? Of course, it's personal. It's your experience. And it gives you the knowledge of eternity, but it's just a knowledge, just a sense of it. How about if there was a, if God actually existed? You know, let's say there's, there's, you know, there's ants and then there's squirrels and then there's elephants and then there's monkeys and then there's people. And then what's beyond people? Maybe there's devas or angels and what's beyond devas and angels goes on and on and on to the Mahadevas and you get to God and goddess. So there's this hierarchy of um, what beings, and there's more atoms involved, more atoms, more structure, more layers, the more complicated. Dense, becoming more dense. More dense, the more complicated, the more structures are in the experience, the simpler the experience can be. Does that make sense to you? It does make perfect sense. They work together and make a bigger wholeness. Yeah. And ultimately, um, okay, so I had this experience of a light, and I say, okay, that's not good enough. That's not God. But yet I sensed inside of me that there was a creator to the whole thing. I knew I didn't create it. I knew you didn't create it. Somebody did. I never see it as a chemical process. I saw it as uh, some kind. I certainly wanted it to be that there's a creator. And then. I got a little older. I started having experiences that were very ecstatic and, 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 you know, divine and this. And I'd see all these forms of gods or goddesses and wonderful that they're there and all that. But I, I knew these weren't the ultimate. There was still something hiding from me. And now keep in mind that everything I'm describing is on a subtle level. Either it's a celestial level or it's a subtle level. Both, they're the same. They don't obscure my sight or my hearing or my talking. I could be having, and I am having, all these experiences right now while I'm talking like a normal human being sitting in a normal chair in a normal room. That's what you got to remember. They're not out there. They're just here. They're just in consciousness. Okay, so ultimately I had these, I guess maybe 30, 40 years ago, I had this experience of God. But God was out there. I was witnessing God. Beautiful. I loved it. It's on my face. Ecstasy. This, that, the other thing. It was a good thing I was married because somebody had to look after me. It was so intense. But I also knew I couldn't really get very close to God if I was overpowered by anything, including him or her. Mm. Understand? Mm-hmm. You know, let's say somebody comes to my door and, and, and I love that person that comes to the door so much that, oh, I love you, and you fall on your face and exit. That person will probably turn around and run away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> now, God doesn't do that. Uh, so do you think God is omnipresent up here sitting around watching every move we make, making judgments about what we do all day long? It's not like that. No, neither. Because in the same way that universal consciousness, pure consciousness, you sense that it's universal and eternal, so is God, universal and eternal. You're functioning within the framework of a supreme being, let's say. 
it's not that you're part of him or her. You're your own entity, right? As, as consciousness gets, uh, what? More and more expanded, you take on more qualities that make it possible for you to know God or goddess. These qualities, right? Mm -hmm. These qualities, omnipresence, you know stuff. And at some point in your evolution, it's getting kind of abstract, but you started it. So there you go. Let me start from scratch here. Okay. Here's pure consciousness. You start seeing this first layer of consciousness is a knowingness level. Oh, I am that. And then you see some forms. And then you go into meditation, you have all this celestial experience, maybe, and all this other kind of experience. And then you come out of meditation, you begin to have those same inner experiences with your eyes open. You begin to realize that you there's a unity between your environment and your inside experience. At first, it's just your immediate environment. But over time, you begin to sense that not only is your immediate environment in terms of the self, so is your distant environment. And ultimately, even the stars and the galaxies, you sense that they are every bit as much in you as what you own in the house that you live in. No. Same, same reality. And by the time you get to the universe, oh, the whole universe is made at that point. The creator of the universe wants to check out who's running around in his or her mansion. <laughs> oh, wow. Interesting. Let me throw this concept at you. I don't know what I think about it, but I've heard it recently, and I found it fascinating to think about that God is definitely not sitting up and judging us and watching every move we make and making sure that we're doing everything perfectly, which sounds ridiculous anyway. But the idea was, the concept is that God is pure potential. It's energy waiting to become something and it becomes something through our thoughts or actions or whatever. I just found that fascinating that God is not necessarily thinking anything that it's just pure energy waiting to become something and that we are it creating the experience through us. We are the God experiencing itself through us. Well, sure. I have no problem with that. Um, it's a lot easier for me to relate to an absolute being than it is to relate to the absolute, the flat absolute, okay? It's personal. I agree with you. It's not like God is sitting on some golden throne, you know, in heaven somewhere. God is everywhere around you. It's a feeling. It's a sense. It's an energy. And I will say this, but not too many times, but God also has a form. Embodiment. embodiment. What does that mean to you? It has a form. Say it again. God also has a form, has a body, cosmic body. How can you envision that? You You think it's, when you say a body, not like our bodies, but a body of energy, is that what you're describing? Or is it a real body? Is that, a, is that an elementary question? It's a, trick. it's a trick question. You know, there's so much misconceptions about God, right? Mm-hmm. So many misconceptions. You know, the Christians have their view and the Buddhists have their view. And some religions only see, you know, the absolute. That's all there is. 
Um, my experience is that there are eternal elements to creation. And those eternal elements, the universe is eternal. It comes and it goes and it comes and it goes and it's been doing that forever. It's never going to stop. And there's a process to that. Uh, there's a process and energy to that whole universe collapsing and starting and collapsing and starting. And at some point, there are aspects of nature that are personified that take care of all of that. And I'm not sure this is the format for getting into any more detail about that because you're going to make this all public and you're going to embarrass me. <laughs> I'm going to try not to, Harry. I have a lot of admiration for you. I want to make you look good, my friend. You know, the biggest, biggest issue is, is not so much is God real, is, does God have a form, but you have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. You have to start somewhere. Establish self-awareness. That's like establishing a t- container in which you can put all kinds of stuff your immediate environment, distant environment, the laws of nature, God and God, they can all fit in this package. But you've got to empty the package first. That would be the, the first uh, aspect of self-realization. And then you've got to realize that that emptiness is there for a reason. And the reason is that you get to know and understand and live and love everything. And the only way that you can do that is that you take everything into your consciousness. You take it bit by bit. Step by step, layer after layer, that's what you get enlightened. So you can get everything else in your immediate environment, distant environment, cosmic environment, celestial environment, and God's environment, get to know what it is. Now you've filled up the container of your own consciousness, and now you don't call it empty, you call it full. Like that. I love that. What about Buddha consciousness and Christ consciousness? Um, all these are here, right? Do you think that um, this, whether people believe in Jesus or not, to me is irrelevant. It's that the energy of Jesus, the consciousness, the Jesus consciousness, the Buddha consciousness, all these energies are here just because we believe it, right? Whether it existed or not is irrelevant to whether we think about it. And if we're thinking about it, that creates the existence of it. How does that play the role? How do you think... Um. The numbers of people who believe a certain way, like, for example, the numbers of people who are Christian or the people who are Buddhist, how that affects the collective. Do you, do you see a connection there? Well, of course, the, the thing about consciousness is the more concrete and more expanded an individual is, whether he's a Christian or Buddhist, uh, Hindu, doesn't matter. The personal consciousness, my consciousness, your consciousness, that person's consciousness, if it's expanded, not only expanded on an abstract level, but expanded on a knowledge level, on a concrete level, on a physical level, that influences the world. Um, it doesn't make any difference if you're a Christian. If you're an expanded Christian, you're going to have a positive influence on the world. If you're expanded Hindu, you're going to have a positive. If you're not expanded, you have a minimal interest, minimal influence. Doesn't matter what religion. They all they all have one goal. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions and this religion and that religion gets into this and that and conflict and that and that. None of that matters. The only thing that really matters if your consciousness as a Christian, as a Hindu, as a Buddhist is expanded, you will influence the world. 
you mentioned in, in, in your book about um, consciousness applying with your eyes open and eyes closed. Do you remember yes. that? How does how does that? What does that mean to you? Well, certainly in my experience, is that well, my experience isn't completely typical, but let's say in people that I know, you know, they meditate for some years or many, many years, some, and you know, they think all their experience is inside, right? That when they close their eyes, they meditate. Oh, I got really nice meditation experiences. And then I look at them and I'll say something like, so what happens if your eyes are open? You mean you're, you're spending your life with your eyes closed? No. Aren't you meditating so that you can have this experience outside? And usually their eyes can go around and they say, well, yeah. So you can't expect the same experience that you're having inside to be exactly the same when you're running around eating, drinking or whatever you're doing. But is it there or isn't it? And usually they'll say, well, there's something there. And then I'll say, what is that something? They'll say, well, there's some silence there. Yes. And what about that other fancy stuff you're experiencing in meditation if you're having that kind of experience? Is it there? Well, it's there if I put my attention on it. So most of us, most people think that when they go inside, do their meditation, that when they open their eyes, that it goes away. Well, where the heck does it go? It doesn't go anywhere. It's just there. You're just not aware of it anymore. So that's where the knowledge aspect or the knowingness aspect of what is the inside experience in relation to the outside experience. You have to know. You have to know that your, that's your essential consciousness, the self. It's there. And it'll be there in your activity. If you're having it in your meditation or with your eyes closed, that'll be there when you're doing something. You just not noticing it as much. So notice it a little more. <laughs> you, you think that, um, our experience, our, everything that comes into our lives, the way I see it is through our thoughts, right? It's the thoughts we keep the most in, in every thought for that matter. And every thought, let me just explain to you real quick how I see things and tell me how, if this resonates with you. So, well, experts tell us we have 60,000 thoughts a day that 90% of them are the same ones we had yesterday. So we keep rehashing these old thoughts, but we have 10% new thoughts. And when I first heard that, this was back when I was like 20 years old, 21. And I thought, well, that means we have 10% more 10% new thoughts. If I can just grab one of these thoughts, right? If I can consciously bring to the surface a thought rather than let the environment dictate every thought that I have, then I can influence what, my, what I'm going to attract to myself. What you think about the most is what you see showing up. So my thought now is that every thought is carrying weight, going out to it, the source, and it is responding back to us according to our intentions, not necessarily the what you want, but the intention behind the thought is an energy. And it's always given back to us. The notion of karma comes up when I describe this. Does that make sense to you that, I mean, every single thought is carrying energy and weight that gives back to us in every single moment? Of course, but the critical thing is, let's say you have pure consciousness, okay? And that pure consciousness doesn't go away when you're having a thought, okay? So that thought, just one thought now, you're never just having one thought, but let's say you're having one thought, but you're having it within Self-awareness. Self-awareness is there as well as the thought. The trajectory of that thought, if it never leaves self-awareness all the way to the so-called surface of self-awareness, 
then it'll have maximum effect on your environment, near and far. That's how you make thoughts powerful. You you wake up, you get self-realized. Then there is no surface anymore, and there is no depth anymore. It's one ocean. So your thought is from the source, course, and goal. It's the whole show all of the time. And that's what will come out of your mouth. That's what will come out in your activity. And that's what just that self begins to express itself fully when it's always there when you're having a thought on every level. And if if it's a say you have a negative thought, it probably won't rise up. It'll just flop back into the into the self and get eliminated. That's what I was going to ask you about. How do you how do you handle like I'm sure you're human. You deal with stuff that pops up, right? It's rather than reacting to it, you do what? You know, there's this, there's this, what, saying before meditation, chop wood, carry water. What do you do after meditation? Chop wood, carry water, baby. That's what you do. It's just because you went into a unified state of consciousness or self-realization doesn't immediately change the world. You're just going to have the maximum effect on changing the world that the karmas and dharmas and everything that's going on in the world can take in. I get it. That's how it works. So you as a human being, you know, let's say you're still not going to eat spaghetti with a spoon. It's going to be difficult. You're going to use a fork. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't matter how awake you are. You're still going to go through all the iterations of material and physical life, right? Yep. Except there's an added element, and that added element is there's this contentment, there's this expansion, there's this knowledge that's there as well. That's all that changes. Everything else remains roughly yep. the same. You don't become a saint. Right. Right. I've said that for the longest time. A lot of people think that's what happens. That's not what enlightenment is necessarily. You know, for me. You are a saint on the subtle level. Right. Right. You know, (laughs) you know, for me, it's, it's little things like, um, you know, most of our lives, most of us go through life just reacting to everything. And I do too. I mean, like when someone pulls out in front of me, my immediate reaction is always the wrong one, but I'm really good at catching myself and going, is that really that big of a deal? No, it's not. Next is being able to catch myself. Is is that moving in the right direction, you think? I mean. Um, oh, you're definitely moving in the right direction. Yeah, I'm, I'm just getting better at catching myself. We're having a conversation here, you know, not to the general public so much as for you. For sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. You're, you're very inquiring. You want to know what's going on. And you haven't met all that many people who can talk about your questions in a what enlightening way certainly not there really just aren't that many because my observation is first of all most people are not that interested in this stuff and number two is that most people are going through their entire lives their entire day reacting just reacting reacting to everything not consciously doing anything other than just reacting because that's the first thing that comes to mind because they got ticked off about something well there's two things that happen to you know a person let's say a person is on the process of getting awake. There's two things that have to happen. One, the light of the self or the knowingness of the self has to get a little stronger, like a rheostat. It just turns up a little bit. 
The second thing has to happen is the darkness or the misconceptions, the lack of knowledge has to fade. But it doesn't fade because you're thinking about these things. Oh, I'm going to be a good person. Or I'm, it fades because you're turning up the rheostat of the self, you know, one degree, two degree. And so light shines and suddenly you see more. Like, let's say I'm in a dark room. Here I'm sitting in this room. There's no light. I see nothing. A tiny little light in the corner over there will cast this light on everything in that room. A little bit. Turn up the rheostat a little more. What's happening is two things. The light is getting brighter. The self is getting stronger. And the illusions, the things you don't know, start disappearing. Right? So you need both of that, those things. You need the knowledge and you need the experience. You need the light and you need to know that something's happening. You have to get it and understand it. Right? Mm-hmm. In your experience, where what is the ego? How does What role does it play in your spiritual growth? Okay, so let's let's put it in uh, in terms of talking about the small self and the big self, the ego self and the non-ego self. Now, it's not that the ego disappears. It's not like the small self disappears. You're always going to need somebody running around doing all the, you know, the important stuff like eating and walking and sleeping, you know, and decide you make decisions. You're going to need all that. So what really happens, the small self and the big self, that would be the, the knower, the experiencer, the enlightened person, and the small self. They have to start cooperating. <laughs> they have to work together. This, in other words, the small self has to get big enough to understand that you do this, but you don't do that. You have this thought, but you don't have that thought. Now, it's not a perfect kind of blending because we have a physiology, it's aging, it's doing this, it's doing that. It's always going to do that. It's always going to do that. It's not the physical universe is perfect as it is, but it has a lot of ups and downs, right? We're not going to get out of those ups and downs except on one level. And that level would be, ah, I am the self. That's the only thing that becomes permanent. It doesn't go up and down. It's the self. I know it. It's that. And, you know, if you want to look at these different states of consciousness, like you could say there's one state of enlightenment that's true, but it has all these uh, qualities to it. We don't just want to have silence inside. Okay, that's good. Silence, it doesn't go away. It doesn't matter what you're doing, this, that, and the other thing. But you don't want to have a differentiation on the knowledge level, on the understanding level between your environment and your friends, society, the world. You want to have some kind of unified sense to it, to it all, but concretely enough that it's always there. Yeah. Always there, just like the self is. You want the self to accept this, accept that, this person, that person. And that does bring up an interesting point, you know. Are you going to accept the bad stuff as well as the good stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently you have to. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you have to because you can't make it go away. Yeah. You can influence it. Uh, you can influence the um, the process, but, you know, if if you have a, somebody you really don't like, you're probably not going to really like that person. 
after waking up either. It's just that that non-liking will not upset the self anymore. That's what you get. Do you think there is a a stage where you ever get to the point where there's complete peace? That would be unity with God. What does that mean? How many people have reached that state? What does that mean? (laughs) Consciousness has to grow to the point where not only is the feeling level, you know, this abstract level of knowingness expanded, but also the physiology expanded. The laws of nature that make this butterfly are here, earth, eagle, mind, intellect, all the different components of the body also have to be known on their cosmic level. And what would mean that cosmic person that gets built out of this expansion of all the different qualities of the heart, mind, and the body, that being would be as perfect as human beings can get. He, she would be a perfect being to the degree, but it's still an individual. You're still not going to be God. (laughs) You're just going to be uh, a being that recognizes that not only are you related to the universe, but the universe is really in you. You are all these laws of nature. You are all these uh, aspects of nature that make up the universe. They're the same aspects of nature that make up your body, heart, and mind. And at that point, you're going to be about as perfect as you're going to get. Wow. What do you think? Why, why are there so many people that, because I mean, this is to me, and clearly it seems to be to you to be one of the most important understandings that we could possibly gain. I wonder why more people are not. Is it an evolution thing? We just haven't reached that stage of humanity where um we want to know these things, where we want to dig deeper within. Do you think it's because we've been taught to look outside of ourselves that that's kind of gotten us distracted? I mean, what do you think it is? I mean, I would love to see some big turn where more people were paying attention to this stuff because it's so important. It's it's so beneficial to us. Well, certainly in the circles that I run around in, there's more and more people are interested. But, you know, it's still a small section of society, right? But, you know, there are these cycles, and you talk about, uh, you know, in the Eastern philosophy, let's say, you know, the different cycles of time were in what's called the kind of, this called yuga. Right, that's kind of the worst period. And then there's four, four of these periods. We're in the worst period of, you know, people getting lost, but it's also apparently one of the best periods to wake up in. Why is that? Well, you want to escape. <laughs> oh, yeah. Get away from Get it. Get away from it all. What do you think's going on right now in the world? This craziness? Well, we live in a crazy time and probably one of the best times of in history. You know, it's weird and it's great all at the same time. I think so. Um, I think this. I think this is one of the best times to wake up that you're, you're going to get. And so, somebody that's on this path or wanting to be on the path has no clue how to get started. How would you recommend someone that was just in just the bare root of just trying to understand any of this stuff? Where do you suggest they start? You have to want it first, and you can't form that. That 
if you got, if you, if you say as a young man or a middle-aged man or a woman or whatever, if you have the desire, okay, I don't want to live this non-change forever and ever to, or this changing phenomenon. It seems to be a field of death. Everybody gets old and passes on. If that gets you, you have to get there first. Aha, what can I do about it? You have to get there. What can I do about it? It doesn't matter how rich you get, you're going to pass on. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be a good person just because you're wealthy and have all kinds of cars. That ain't going to do it for you. You have to get there. As soon as you get there, then look around and say, what else is there? Historically, there's been teachers and gurus and religions and and many of them get it wrong. But you can't, you have to ignore all that. And you have to say to yourself, I want more. I want more. I want, I, I believe that historically there have been saints, there have been gurus, there have been teachers, and they seem to have gotten happy. How do I do that? Well, then you have to look around you and say, see if you can find somebody like that who will talk to you, who will teach you, who will, maybe it's a group, maybe it's an individual. And there's certainly a lot of individuals who will get you in trouble. <laughs> All they want is money or something. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, also my path, it also works. It was a lonely one, but it also works. And it's the path of contemplation. If you'll just ask questions, if you'll get quiet and you'll listen, you can receive answers to stuff out of thin air. I found this just fascinating that I gained my understanding that way. I wasn't able to explain it. I think I'm, I'm in our initial conversation. I explained to you about the vision that I had when I was 27 years old. I couldn't really explain it until that moment, but the fact that I was gaining my understanding through just questioning with no one, I refused to read books because I felt as though I had been for a lack of better words, brainwashed into the way I was brought up as a child. I I intentionally didn't want to read books. And so I just started, I asked so many questions. It went on for years and years and years and years, but I, I did come to my own understanding. And the interesting part, Harry is I thought that these things were so unique to me, but when I did start reading books and then I started looking from other teachers and things like this, um, it turned out that none of the stuff was mine. It was, none of it was original. It, it had all been around for thousands of years. And you just go, wow. I mean, this is just fascinating that, I mean, you know, I came up with these answers because I was persistent. I just kept wanting to know and look without reading a single word. I was able to gain information. I just, I still, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by that. And I think anybody would be able to do it. But like you said, you have to want it. You have to look for it. You have to seek it because it's not going to come tap you on the shoulder and say, I'm over here. Come over here. It just doesn't work like that. And I wonder why it probably feel it would probably be a lot easier if it did. You know, as soon as you have the desire to become a seeker, blah, blah, blah. After that, you have to find, you have to find people who have had the experience that you're looking for. They have to be, they have to be real people. They have to be, you know, they're living in the world. They're not going to go live in the Himalayas or something. And they have to be people who, you know, have maybe they don't have successful lives, but they have a successful interior life. And to the degree they can describe that to you, you should hang out with those kind of people. There's no other way. You don't have another choice. It's going to take you longer on your own. Yep. 
It just does. I'm, I'm looking for my crew. I'd love to find them. I mean, I have people that I'm, um, I can communicate with, but, um, um, I'm usually doing most of the talking. I'm, I'm ready to learn more from other people like you. I mean, you know, so I'm going to come over and hang out at your house. Do you have a spare bedroom? <laughs> no, listen, Harry, listen, I could talk to you all day. There's lots of stuff. I could talk about bliss. I could talk. Oh, there's so many things I could talk to you about, but you also do art. Um, can you describe how long you've been doing art? Man, your stuff is just absolutely fascinating. Harry Alto, H-A-R-R-I-A-A-L-T-O.com. Yeah, some of his work up there is just absolutely beautiful. What's your process? Well, I've always been an artist, just, you know, even as a kid. I always like to scribble and do things, you know, the self-realized state, if that's, that's what you have, and, and you're going to do art, whether it's music or painting. For me, it would be painting and sculpting. Um, the first thing I do, let's say I'm doing a drawing. This is, uh, I, I want to do something specific. And immediately when I want to do something, I see it inside my consciousness. I see it, boom, there it is. I take wow. a pick, pick up a pen or a pencil and I start scribbling. It's almost like my hand's moving by itself. It isn't because I'm paying attention to what's in me because I see this vision. And I make this sketch in about five or ten minutes. Big, it's a big drawing. It's a drawing. And then I look at it and I say, yeah, that's as close as I can get in 10 minutes. So the whole experience or the whole painting or drawing that I'm going to do is on the paper now in kind of a geometric form, just lines, no color, just lines all over the place. It's exactly what I want to do. And I don't deviate from that at all. I, If I want to make it bigger, I measure every point and I reproduce that drawing on a bigger oh, scale. And then, I, if I, if it's let's say it's a painting, a watercolor, I then now I've done the geometry of the painting. Now I put my attention on what does it look like, what colors are involved, and I see all that. So I take my brush and I dip it in there. It's like I'm dipping it into my consciousness. Here's here's consciousness brush going into a consciousness color, and I splash it onto the onto the uh, watercolor paper. But the brush. And the canvas or the watercolor paper, the brush, the process, then the process, they're all in consciousness. I can see they're almost like lines in consciousness, color and consciousness. And I'm moving it around on the really quickly, 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 ping, ping, ping. And at some point it gets finished. Oh my goodness. When I look at your work, it reminds me of like, it, it may, it feels like you're meditating when you're doing your artwork. Does it put you in that mindset, a very similar mindset you might be in when you're meditating? Very similar. Same. Yeah. I would say yeah. very similar. And I think all, all the good artists and certainly all the great artists of the past and present, they maybe they're not directly aware of this process, but that's the process. But that, how did your art, how was it affected once you had your um, enlightenment moment? That moment when you the bubble became so much bigger. Every state of every state of awareness that I've gone through and it's been mm. kind of non-stop states, not one state, you know, there's the first state, second, third, fourth, fifth state, all of these states. Um, I tried to or wanted to paint or sculpt them all, but it's almost impossible, you know, if you see a vision inside to get it all under this little square here, right? Or this little sculpture there. But 
there was never any, certainly for me, I didn't, I never ever saw any difference in the process of doing a painting and just living life. Same thing. So let, assume you go into this state. There's a state called, let's call it a unified state of consciousness. Okay. That means what you're looking at, you never come out of the self when you're looking. You're hearing something. You never come out of the self when you're hearing something. So there is, so if an artist has that quality, then it feels like I'm painting my environment, even if I'm not painting it, because it feels like me. It feels like I created it. That's what it feels like. Now, I, I didn't necessarily create it. Somebody else did. Wow. But there yeah. is no somebody else. That's just it's just me. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have two more questions for you, Harry. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to eat up all of your time. I would love to do this again, though, okay. sometime. If I could get you back on, I, I have more questions I thought of as I was sitting here chatting with you. I would love well, to just, you, just invite me. We'll do it. We'll do it. Anytime. Yo, you can believe I will. I most definitely will. What are your most important lessons that you could share with anyone listening right now along this journey? What it was maybe you could think of? I know you've probably had a billion lessons along the way. But can you think of anything? You've been a successful business person. Uh, you're, you're clearly um, enlightened. Probably the first person I've talked to that could be just as clearly, you know, a lot of people who claim to be enlightened speak in all this jargon that can get you lost. And they just sound so smart, but it has nothing to do with enlightenment. To me, just the way you answer stuff is clear to me that you're you're very subtle. You're very, um, I don't want to say you're normal, but you're pretty darn close to normal. And um, I mean, you, you don't come across as the woo-woo like a lot of people in this field are. They come across as woo-woo. What kind of advice could you give to someone like me who's on this path, um, continuing to grow, constantly looking? What What can I do to get? even deeper. My goal is to just go as deep as I can during this lifetime. I just want to know as much as I possibly can about myself. I want to see the connectedness to all things. Um, I don't want to do what's right. I want to live my purpose. I want all that stuff. So what, what, what kind of advice could you give someone? Well, like you're, you're already on the path and you have strong desires for more and more of that, of that, those subtle qualities. If I have for a person like you, I would say, don't doubt your experience. It doesn't matter what it is. If you have some kind of experience with your eyes closed, hang on to it to the degree, not concentrate or anything, but just believe it. You're not going to have anything that isn't real. Don't doubt. Doubt can be a big obstacle. And, and you, you know, many people say, well, you know, I'm not perfect. You know, I get depressed. I do this. I do that. Forget all that. Self-realization, the self doesn't care about that stuff. Just stick with the self. Oh, did I have that silence? Is it there now? That's what counts. And then that's silence when it's clear enough and it's uh, what? When it's full enough, everything will naturally, without you having to be an intellect or talented or anything, it'll just start moving into your life. You'll start being more connected, you'll start loving the people more. It, it it just happens, but you have to be open to it happening and not doubt it. That's my advice. You know what that sounds like to me? It's like everything we do, though. It goes back to thought. You know, if, if you're thinking life sucks, you're going to attract more suck. If you're wanting to know about spirituality, and you know, you'll learn more about spirituality. It's where the mind focuses is where the energy goes, right? It's true. Um, final question for you, sir. What do you think happens when we die? Nothing. 
Nothing happens. You're just throwing off a coat. This coat here, this physical coat. I love that description. You know, Ram Das, he, he, he described it as it's like taking off a tight fitted shoe. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't fit quite as well. <laughs> right. The Hindus describe it as like dropping the body. You know, that, that sounds right to me. Sounds like the energy just is trapped in the body in one moment. And then the next moment, it's like right outside the body. What the heck happens from that moment? I don't know, but you know, it seems like, it. I think a lot of people, including myself, when I was a kid, I thought of like, when you go to heaven, your body dies, just like, poof, you're in a new universe or something like heaven, you know, but I now don't see it like that. It's just energy, it's energy transforming, right? Do you think, is that how you well, see it's it? more than energy, you know, I, you know, the many systems talk about, you know, there's the physical body, there's astral body, there's a causal body, and there's an absolute body. The only thing you're dropping off is the physical body. But even that, what you want to do is gain the highest value of consciousness now, and you have to do it here on Earth, because you have the whole range. You have the from the subtlest level to the grossest level. You don't have that in heaven. So if you can gain that range of consciousness when you're body dies, it doesn't even feel like your body dies. Because you are now an eternal infinite yeah. being. Yeah, it's just another moment. It's just another moment. Just another moment. And we're all so scared of it. And we have no reason to be scared of it. There's really no reason to be. We just miss people. I think that's the thing, you know. We're, we're going to miss people. Listen, Harry, how do people get in touch with you? I know it's H-A-R-R-I-A-A-L-T-O dot com is your website. You have a couple of books out. Uh, you want to talk about those for just a second? I know you have The Landscape of Enlightenment, which I read. You also have The Universal Consciousness. Did you actually read it or did you listen to it? <laughs> I listened to it, Harry. You know, I actually bought the Audible because um, I have I like to take a shower and walk around and do stuff while I'm listening. Oh, you so, Sure. And the other one was universal consciousness is profoundly personal. It's called finding lasting happiness in self-awareness. This is a book that's on audio. It's on, um, yeah, the landscape of enlightenment. And yeah, I loved it. I really did. I loved it. It's not on audio yet. It's this one. This one goes more deeply into higher states of consciousness than the First one is almost an autobiography, right? When you say that, there's a lot of it was. stuff in yep. this. The second book is more knowledge-based. Now I'm writing a third book and a fourth book, and I'm trying to get them out as well. Now, you know, for you, how, how, how could I put this? We should stay in touch. I would love that. Yeah, I would love that. Here. Well, don't forget, um, maybe, maybe uh, I can help you if you get involved in some of my little groups, you know, and you know, make you feel like you're doing the enlightenment stuff as oh. well. <laughs> yeah, man. I would really like to do that. Thank you so much, Harry. And I want to thank you for listening. Remember, no matter what you believe, there's always a thread that connects us all. It's through conversations like these that we can open our minds, expand our perspectives, and find common ground. I encourage each of you to carry the spirit of interconnectedness in your own life. Seek understanding. Engage in meaningful conversations and recognize the unity that lies beneath the surface in all of our individual beliefs. Thank you again, Harry. Goodbye. Bye. And thank you for listening. It's all connected at RussJohnson.com.